Welcome back to the Cosmic Car Wash Podcast. Um, my name is Paul Daly. Hey, I'm Rick. Rick Kaiser. And we are very happy to be here. I am so happy to be here. It's been a few weeks. And um, thankfully, uh, we can do this on our schedule and we don't have sponsors or anything. You know, Not yet. Banging down our door telling us to get episodes out. Not yet. Yeah, maybe. But... Uh, that's been uh i've been an adventurous few weeks so really really glad to be back here and yeah this is one of the highlights of our week absolutely been looking forward to it myself yeah so we're calling this one uh revisiting eden which um, we talk a lot in this podcast and in our personal lives uh in the devotions that we participate on a daily basis with a, a small group of other warrior poets Ooh about Eden, about the great renewal, uh, the renewal of all things, the palingenesia, palingenesia. I'm not a Greek scholar, so you'll have to forgive my possible mispronunciation. But uh, we talk a lot about that, and it's become very uh, front and center for us in the last couple years. And, um, the you know, it was the, the John Eldridge podcast, his episodes from September and October of 2020 that really launched us into this. And I know I speak for both of us when I say it's absolutely changed both our lives. Yes. Reframed the way we look at life, the way we look at uh, our faith as Christians, the way we look at what is life after death look like. And to borrow a turn of phrase from N.T. Wright. What does life after life after death look like? That's good. Uh, yeah, because uh, we have come to learn that the uh, largely Western Christianized uh, view of the future that includes war and terror and and all this and God coming and destroying the earth and taking us to heaven while the rest of the world just burns is not at all what Jesus taught. It's not what his disciples understood. It's not what Paul wrote in his letters or Peter wrote, you know, right. in his ministry to the churches. Um, and uh, thankful, uh, I'm very thankful to uh, Tim Mackey and John Collins over at the Bible Project podcast, who really helped us kind of understand Eden in the context of the whole Bible. Right. Uh, you know, everybody... Christian, non-Christian uh, is familiar with the story of Eden, the beginning of the the, the Bible, you know, Genesis chapter two, God created a garden in Eden. So it, I think at some point I realized that uh, I had to come to the realization that there was a garden in a region called Eden. So um, there was a specific place within the region of Eden where God planted a garden and created Adam and Eve. Uh, Adam was created from the dirt. Eve was created out of Adam. And they were commissioned to go and cultivate and uh, be co-rulers with God over the earth. And uh, I think we learn over the course of Scripture that God's intention was to take what was happening there in that garden and spread it out to the rest of the world so that the kingdom of God that began yes. there would grow. But we all know the story, Adam and Eve sinned, got kicked out of the garden, and we all know what life east of Eden looks like because we live it every single day. 
sin, death, war, famine, jealousy, you know, but um, Jesus came and he was prophesied about for hundreds and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Jesus came to say the kingdom of God is here. It's now it's among us. And so we want to just talk about what revisiting Eden means. Um, kind of maybe I'm sure we'll look at some New Testament scriptures, probably revisit some of the Old Testament mm-hmm. um, pictures of Eden that God tried to show through the tabernacle and through the temple uh, and go from there. So um, as we always do, we just kind of start and go and the conversation evolves. And that's one of the things that I personally love most about the way we do this, Rick. So I'll stop talking turn it over to you and we'll uh, we'll get going all right let's go back to the videotape let's do it <laughs> hey um yeah i just jotted down some thoughts and some questions and and uh i had um i woke up in the middle of the night last night i've been thinking about this since we uh, kind of decided on this topic early in the week and um i woke up around four because the smoke alarm decided it was time for me to change the battery <laughs> And so you can't, you can't go back to sleep after that. (laughs) So I laid there in the dark and I was just thinking about the podcast today and some of the, um, I I guess all the prevailing, um, attitudes and beliefs and like the apocalypse, you know, that is such a huge buzzword and it's a billion dollar buzzword in Hollywood. And, uh, and I started just thinking about you and I and, and where we've come from. Are we closing in on three years or? It'll be three years in October. So we're yeah. two and a half. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's uh, a lot has happened. A lot has changed. And so I just jotted uh, just a couple of questions and we can uh, kind of riff on those. And then I have an idea that I, I wanted to riff on um, just through a couple of scriptures uh, when it comes to uh, talking about people's uh, allegiance to the apocalypse, to the end times, to the fire of God and the, and the earth being burnt like an, uh, a ditch on a country road. So my first question was, how has your life, my life changed since we heard the message of the great renewal, which began with John Eldridge, John and Blaine Eldridge, um, the, uh, our ambivalence towards the return of Christ. So I'll kick that to you. And just in the last, what, two and a half years? Yeah. Approximately. It's hard for me to believe that it's only been two and a half years because it has no. been such a significant change. That's exactly what I was thinking too. If I had to sum it up in two words, I would say it's number one is hope. I have hope that I didn't have before because mm-hmm. before I remember specifically in the months and years leading up to uh, discovering those podcasts and the great renewal and the palingenesia. I remember having the thought, yeah, Jesus is coming back. I genuinely believe that if somebody put a gun to my head, I would say, yes, I believe Jesus is coming back, but that's as far as it went for me. I didn't know what was beyond that. And I certainly didn't really care as it pertains to my day-to-day life because my thought was, yeah, Jesus is coming back, but so what? I got a lot of problems to deal with right now. Mm. You know, like a lot of people have gone through marriage issues and financial issues and all of this stuff. And 
I didn't see how the return of Jesus and the kingdom of God impacted me. Like it was good to get people to commit their life to Jesus. But then like, what do you do after that? You just kind of wait out until you die. Right. Um, yeah. So hope has been a big thing. And then honestly, just like excitement. Like I'm excited now about Jesus returning. And that's one of the things that I love that John Eldridge did through the course of that five episode series uh, about our ambivalence around the return of Christ as he addressed some of those specific ambivalences and he had things to do like, well, I don't, I don't want Jesus to come back right away because all the hopes and dreams that I feel like God has given me, I don't want to lose those things. Right. Or, uh, for those parents that have kids that aren't serving God, maybe you're a little nervous about Jesus coming back because you feel like, well, if Jesus comes back, then time runs out for my kids and they might not get into the kingdom of God or other things. But in the last two and a half years, dealing with my own ambivalences, I realize nothing good is lost with the return of Jesus. And also, I don't have to wait for that event. I can start to live for God right now. And yeah, I'm not just trying to write out the clock and hope that I don't sin so egregiously that I miss the kingdom of God or miss heaven. So hope and excitement. Yeah. Ditto. The same thing. I, I have found a lot of little things that add up to big things since this. And yeah. you're right. It is hard to believe it's only been, you know, less than three years. It feels like 30 years yes. because the depth that this, um, this revelation has taken both of us is it goes so much deeper. I, every day it goes deeper and farther. I, you're right. It, it's easier to live. It's yeah. easier to live for Christ. I don't feel the uh, the internal struggles and wars, and I don't feel like you know Sunday was yes, and then Monday was like oh, <laughs> you know, right. going to hell. <laughs> you know, um, and so many other things. Just even. Just the revelation of Holy Spirit uh, showing different areas of my life and the compromise and the desire to be closer. And yet in that desire to be closer, as I do get closer, the more I see my need and the more I see those things. And some of those things truly begin to fade away. Exactly. And the fear is gone. The ambivalence is gone. There's more of an excitement for his return because I know that it doesn't end in in a poof with my clothes laying on the front porch and I disappear into the ethos. Right. Or you're not yeah. driving your car, you're suddenly right. gone and your car careens into a crowd of so, innocent bystanders. Right. So what if I'm raptured a split second before the guy coming through the intersection and I slam into him because I'm not there and he dies before he's ra I'm, you know, right. That's like the old question, you know, could God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? <laughs> <laughs> the thing, um, you know, and looking at the Garden of Eden and the fact that we are all descendants, descendants of Adam and Eve, they were created to live forever. They were going to be yes. eternal beings, eternal, forever. And the whole earth was going to be covered with the glory of God, with Eden. Eden would have 
covered every square inch of this planet yes. and every human from Adam and Eve, we would have been eternal. We would live forever. So a lot of it, I think, is read like a myth that it's people, you know, kind of move on from how we both have been affected by this. And it is the best news that you can give somebody. You know, um, I'm going to probably bounce around a lot, but because I have so no, many places to go, it is like, know. like trying to wrangle a fish or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. It's like to squeeze oil in your hand. So now I lost my train of thought. Yeah. I have notes everywhere, but it's interesting that every Christian that you talk to that has had a born again experience or even, you know, just a mainline denomination born and raised, you know, I, I was in a Methodist church, but I believed all those things, the virgin birth, you know, um, the crucifixion, the resurrection from the dead, the ascension into heaven, the healed, the sick, you know, and, um, brought sight to the blind. All of those things were yes. Yep. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, and then the rapture that we're all going to be taken away. And, yeah. and I, I always wondered, you know, because then he was going to come back and get the rest of his church. That's what I was taught. He's just coming to, he's coming to get half. I always thought, well, which half of his bride, if the church is the bride, which half is he getting? And why is he leaving part of her here to go through all of this horrible, um, uh, tribulation. And so it, it was extremely fearful for me. I lived in fear and I think it is very much an isolationist kind of, uh, theology. It, it's separate, you know, because when you get a hold of that and, and I meet people like this is that they are, they're ready to go and they don't care. And there comes that point where we're like, you know, uh, well, I'm out of here, man. Yeah, I've just heard a preacher recently say that, Hey, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Like screw the mess. That's your problem. I'm out of here. You know, and that I, after uh, getting the revelation of, you know, what is it? Uh, revelations two fifteen. Uh, behold, I'm coming to make all things new. Yes. That is, that's a, that's a tough thing to embrace. You can't truly embrace the rapture and then skip over revelations 21 five. I don't think that you can because we're responsible for what's going on here. So again, I know I'm jumping a lot and um, anyway, I, let me get to my point and then I'll kick it over to you. This is kind of what was, I was thinking about in the middle of the night. I've actually been thinking about it all week because there's a lot of people that cling to the fire that mm -hmm. uh, God's going to burn everything up. You know, it's all going to be burned up. And I really have been, thinking hard about that, Paul. And uh, so I looked up, uh, I, I know that the Bible says God is a consuming fire in Deuteronomy 425, Hebrew, or that, yeah, Hebrews 1229, mm -hmm. and that he is a consuming fire. He is a fire, yes. but he's holy. Right. And so then I started thinking of uh, in Exodus 3, the burning bush, that you know, Moses is standing there and this bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. Exactly. And he tells him, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. So I started to think maybe we have, maybe the original writers and even the apostles understood the fire of God because flames of fire fell on them at Pentecost. 
It didn't burn them up, did it? It did not burn them up. So the fire of God is a cleansing fire. So I think as the centuries have gone on, we've come under this um, illusion that we see God abandoning the planet and just letting it burn. And maybe as the glory of the Lord in Habakkuk 2.14, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. So as the fire comes like the burning bush, there was nothing wrong with that bush. It was his creation. So it wasn't consumed. Right. And it was holy ground. That fire, I think this is just my take. I'm not a scholar by any means. But I think that the fire of God is a purification. It yeah. purifies. And if you're walking in holiness, you're, you're good. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. It's the it's those that cling to evil. And you really, um, some time ago, and you were talking about it, and I've never forgot it. It was a great um, analogy. And you compared it to the Titanic and that the system of this world is a sinking ship. Yeah. And but yet it's surrounded by the glory of God. And then any time people can get off of that ship and get and walk into the kingdom, swim in, jump in, dive in, backflip, belly flop, whatever, into the kingdom of God. Yeah. But yet some people just will refuse to do that and they will go down with the ship that in the system of the, of this world. So that's kind of what I'm looking at is that that fire is not what everybody thinks it is. It is a purifying, it is the presence of God and in his truth and in his holiness in his righteousness, his benevolence and charity is a purity that is breathtaking, a purity that literally evaporates everything that causes people to stumble, everything that causes them to be sick, everything that causes them to hate, every act of violence, every act of uh, greed, everything, everything, those things are literally burned up. And a a long time ago, I, not that long, but I had, uh, I got my, uh, my pool and spa operator's license. It was like applying for NASA. The test was brutal, but uh, I'm surprised I passed it, to be honest with you. Um, But the guy who was, he was talking about chlorine and working with pools. And he said, when you walk into a hotel where you smell chlorine, he goes that uh, people think, oh, wow, they got a pool. And he said, when you smell chlorine, that's the problem. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't smell the chlorine. But he said, it's, it's like, the um, his father, I think, worked at some plant where there was it was a, a smelting plant. There was furnaces, huge furnaces, and the hotter it was, the less ash there was. Mm-hmm. And they would parts of the furnace. It would be so hot that if they dropped like a sheet of paper or a bundle of paper near that flame, it would just evaporate, and there was no ash. And so he compared that to the chlorine in the pool. If you smell the chlorine, it means there's not enough. It's not doing its job because that's the ash that's left behind. Hmm, You have the balance correct. If if it's correct, there's no ash. So, and I thought that was fascinating and I never forgot that. So what, that's what I'm thinking of here is that when the glory of the Lord covers the earth, 
you know, um, what he says, and he will appear, he will appear. Yes. Um, that's, and, and this morning in the devotion, you talked about, uh, and this scripture has always uh, been very curious to me, is they, they call it the great and terrible day of the Lord. Right. Those who cling to the ash, those who cling to ashes. Yeah, that's going to be a horrible day. And, the, and, and for those who have, you know, open hands, live life with open hands, pursue God and love him. That uh, I, that's the day I wait for, Yeah, you know, and, and God takes no uh, pleasure in the death of the wicked. And that's, that's scriptural. He is not spiteful. Right. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. His desires that all men be saved, right. period. So, uh, yeah, revisiting Eden is, uh, is the most exciting thing that has ever happened to me. Yes. Like you said before, it's like being born again, again. And that's yes. exactly what happened to me. And every single day I wake up with that on my mind and yeah. I go, I go to bed with that on my mind. And every single day, the more that we do these things, we've been doing devotions for years. We were doing them before we, you found this message and shared it with me. Thank you, John and Blaine Eldridge, yes. Tim Mackey, John Collins, N.T. Wright, C.S. Lewis. Dallas Willard, <laughs> so many. Yeah. Yeah. Thank. Yeah. I think there's more people carrying this message than we realize. Sometimes it just feels like we're kind of alone. So that is, uh, that is what I found. That's the most exciting thing that I've stumbled across. And I love this uh, quote by Nathaniel Hawthorne. He was a writer, wrote the Scarlet Letter and uh, some other stuff. I had it here, but it's not that important. But he was born in 1804. And so he was alive and a young man when uh, the rapture message message took off. John Darby and Dwight Moody, um, Schofield, uh, when they brought it back from Glasgow, Scotland. Scotland. And I'll tell you, there's some really diehard people out there that, man, they hate. They oppose it and they call, they would call you and I heretics and that's fine. We would be in good company, but Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote, our creator would never have made such lovely days and given us the deep hearts to enjoy them above and beyond all thought, unless we were meant to be immortal. Yes. Ah, I love that. It's beautiful. And yes. it's in such keeping with the rest of the story of scripture. Yes. So- if I'm to believe the whole rapture theology, then what I'm saying is God created a good world. He created, he said, it's good. It's good. It's good. He created man and said, it's very good. Right. And he does this. We sinned, we messed it up, but God created still, it doesn't take away from the fact that God created a good earth. But if I'm to believe that, we're all going to get raptured out of here before God comes and just rains down, you know, hailstones the size of a VW bug and sulfur and fire and earthquakes and destroys it all. Then I'm acknowledging or I'm making a, a an implicit statement that sin and death win. Right. You're right. And God has to just give up and like start over. But that's nowhere in the pattern of scripture. You look at 
Adam and Eve were given the land. They were given the ground. And mm. they sinned, and they had to be ejected from the Garden of Eden because God said, I don't want them to eat from the tree of life. Otherwise, they'll eat it and live forever in this sinful condition. There you go. Yeah. But then what did God tell Abraham? I've There's a promised land for you. And you eventually, you will inherit this land. And that became the nation of Israel. And all of the writings of the Old Testament prophets pointed forward to the day when not the earth wasn't going to be destroyed. The earth was going to be redeemed and restored and that God would come back with his glory and would live among his people. That's what the tabernacle and the book of Exodus was for. That's right. what the temple that Solomon built was for. It was for God to come and dwell with his people. And scripture is just a rinse and repeat series of stories of how God keeps wanting to live with his people, but we keep messing it up. But then what God ultimately did was send Jesus back, sent Jesus to the earth. Jesus is God in the flesh. Right. And he came and said, you know, he, I love the way that, that uh, they, that John Mackey and Tim Collins put it is that through the whole of the old Testament, there was this clean space called the Holy of Holies that was in the tabernacle in the temple. And you couldn't go into the Holy of Holies if you were impure because that holiness would contaminate or would destroy whatever was unholy. And so you, if you were contaminated through these laws, they had all these cleanliness laws, um, they had to stay clean. But then when Jesus came, we see him taking his cleanness and going out into the uncleanness of the world and making people that were unclean clean. And Amy and I just rewatched uh, season three, episode five of The Chosen, where the woman with the issue of blood came and she was unclean. She wasn't supposed to be around people because she was bleeding. Right. She touched Jesus. She was instantly healed. And I love the way they portrayed it. I mean, it was just yeah. Jesus so kind, so compassionate. He, I mean, and the, the, the Pharisees were there and some of the other people in the crowd were like, she shouldn't be here. And Jesus just... The character playing Jesus, I realize he's not Jesus. Jonathan Rumi, as Jesus, right. looked at those people and very sternly, but very compassionately said, she is clean. Jesus's cleanness affected and overtook her uncleanness. And so that's what the pattern that God has developed through the whole of scripture is God is coming to redeem and restore everything. Jesus said, when the son of man returns and everything is made new who was i remember the, the story and i don't remember names or anything but the uh the bible student who did an exhaustive study of uh the word all oh yeah everywhere that it appeared throughout scripture and after many hours of study and research and referencing came to the came to the conclusion that the word all means all when the son of man returns and everything is made new that includes the earth and we've made the terms earthly and human as somehow less than right. God never intended it that way. God created the earth and called it good. God created humans and said they are very good. And Jesus came and showed us what God's desire is for us is not to be taken out of the world, but in the world to be like him. We are called to be his disciples, his students, his followers. And, be like Jesus. I love the way Dallas Willard said it is that 
and I'm not going to quote him exactly, but essentially it's my, my goal as a disciple of Jesus is to live my life the way Jesus would live it if he were me. Hmm. That's God's picture for us. So if we're, when we're, as we're talking about revisiting Eden, we are Eden. And that's something I love that, you know, you kind of turned me on to that mindset of like, we are Eden. The book of Colossians, Paul writes, and in the first chapter, he says that it's Christ living in us. The presence of God is no longer in a building. It's right. no longer in a tent. It's no longer, you know, one place that we have to pilgrim pilgrimage to. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we take the cleanness and the glory and the fire of God and take that out with us and the the cleanliness of Christ in us makes the unclean clean. He is through us, through his church, redeeming and restoring everything. And that's why the message of the great renewal and Eden is so much, it's so hopeful and it's so exciting because I'm not just waiting to die anymore. Right. I am living for Jesus here and now. And I love also, I'll, and I'll stop with this. I love the way you said it is when, when the fullness of the kingdom of God comes, I want it to be as easy as stepping over a crack in the sidewalk. Just boom, right into Eden, and we're there. Yeah, that kind of dissolves the whole um, cosmic car wash that Dallas Willard talked yeah. about is, is that. And that's one of the things that has really landed with me, and I know that you as well, over these last two and a half years, is that. Is, and um, I tell you, it is so liberating, Paul. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that you're right. Well, part of it is that, that fallacy and, and, uh, I, I find it somewhat destructive and isolating that our, you know, Christianity has been reduced to that escapism theology and people will go to the wall and argue, you know, tooth and nail to defend that. And yet how productive is it? Um, and I, I can't see it. It's, it is difficult because we're asking people to give their lives to a kingdom that they can't inherit until they die. Right. And that was never, ever the message. It's now uh, the Ruach of God, the wind that was in Eden blew again at Pentecost. Yes. And that wind is still howling. Yes. Yeah. That wind is still howling and it's the, it, it is the wind of God, the holiness of God and creation has joined in with that because all creation groans in anticipation for the revealing of the sons of God. Yes. And, um, you know, what are the meek supposed to inherit? Was that just some arbitrary, uh, Jesus Tourette's yeah. still inherit the earth, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I yeah. mean, why is it there? It, right. And it's, if it's a, you know, briquette, who's going to want that? Is this right. always good? God's is always dead. <laughs> I'd live my whole life for you and I get a piece of charcoal. No, it's not at all. Everything was about the kingdom of God and Eden being restored here. God yeah. wants, you know what God wants? He wants to walk with his creation in the cool of the day. That's what kind of a father he is. And uh, this all began, I'll tell you, not long, I was not until we moved to Virginia and um, part of it, you know, obviously our friendship, we've been friends for 25 years and um, you know, you shared some of this with me and it just rocked my, it changed everything. You led me to Jesus again. 
<laughs> so, but I remember being on the back porch. I've told the story to you before, and I hadn't spoken with my daughter in three years, and it was not by my choice at all. And she, you know, and I prayed, and it was heartbreaking for me because I've always adored that kid. Yep. Still do. I'm officiating her wedding in October. <laughs> I told her to bring lots of Kleenex, and uh, so. She had called me out of the blue and she was crying. She was in her car, pulled off on the side of the road. And I am, I, I'm just fixated on the moment. I am in the moment. And I was, and I had resolved in myself, I'm not going to hang up till I hear her giggle. Mm -hmm. And, and so I just talking and everything and, and letting her, you know, lament and vent. And so, you know, she came to the end of herself and she let me pray for her and it was just started talking and laughing. I had her laughing and everything. And that was three years. That was a three year drought that I had not spoken. And all the only words I got were, you know, vitriol. Right. And a lot of it was parroting from other sources. So I'll never forget the moment that when I finally, I hung up. And I was like leaned over that rail pole because I was emotionally spent. And um, before the words, I could get the words out of my mouth. God spoke to me just like you're talking to me right now. And he said, that's how I feel about you. Oh. And I was wrecked. I was wrecked. And I think that was the beginning of the revelation because I lived a very long time terrified of God the Father, terrified of him. Yep. Because in in my mind, he was this angry, surly curmudgeon that did nothing to do with me. You know, was just if I stepped on his lawn, he was going to smite me. And Jesus was standing in front of me, going, wait, 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 he's with me, he's with me. You know, and, and I think there's a lot of people that live like that, you know, yep. under the misconception that, you know, going to fall into the hands of an angry God. God is not angry. He's not angry. He poured out his wrath on himself at the cross. I, I find it rather macabre, you know, and some people might, you know, get their religious feathers ruffled. But when you tell people straight up, if someone's never heard of Jesus, hey, you know, God sent his only son to die for you. Well, why on earth would he do that? <laughs> why would he do that? Why would he kill his son? Well, because he loves you. <laughs> you think about that for a minute. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think we're looking at something with that, it, like an, an iceberg that has no bottom. And we're looking at this much of the ice poking out when we say things. Yes, there, there is some truth to that, but all of that was motivated again by Eden, by Eden. and his incredible love, Paul. Yeah. And like he said that to me, he says that to you. That's how I feel about you. He takes no delight in the death of the wicked and his desires that all men be saved and that we will live here on this earth, on this planet yeah. forever because nothing good is lost. Yeah. Uh, man, there's such some great scriptures. Uh, where did they go? I know I got them here. Well, while you're looking for those, um, I will say, yeah, I had a similar experience um, with my dad, actually. My dad is a wonderfully godly man who is very close to Jesus. And uh, even this last weekend, I, I had a chance to visit him and just sat and listened to my dad talk about all the things Jesus tells him and shows him and, you know, his 
his spiritual life. And it was, I don't know, not long after you and I had discovered the message of the great renewal. Uh, thank you to John and Blaine Eldridge. I was talking to my dad on the phone and we talk a lot about the kingdom of God and about the Lord. And my dad hit me with this question that just wrecked me. I, he said, what would you say if I told you that God is not mad at you? I, I, it, it hit me in a very unexpected way. And I just started crying hmm. because I had never thought about before where you saw God as angry and vengeful I just felt like God was always disappointed with me and he was only putting up with me because Jesus right. was like, come on, God, just give him another chance. He's going to get it right eventually. But I just felt like a perpetual disappointment. Yeah. And to think that what I, the excitement that I feel about Eden is just a dim echo of the excitement wow. that God feels at being finally reunited with his creation the way that he wants to be. Oh, that's, wow. That's like, my love for him is not even a drop considered, you know, compared to the ocean of his love for us. That he, God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all there on the cross. Yes. He took his punishment for sin upon himself so that he could be reunited with us. Absolutely blows me away. And who wouldn't want to serve a God like that? I'm not serving a God who's coming to destroy the world. I'm serving a God who's coming to make it perfect and brand new. And the best stories that we've ever heard or ever been told don't come close to the, the story that God wants us, has for us. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's to be with him. The, uh, and you know, and you're right. Eden is this, this golden thread woven through every page of the Bible yes. from Genesis to revelation, Eden and Eden's return, the Bal the Palingenesia, the great renewal, uh, Matthew nineteen twenty eight. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you at the renewal of all things, that word yeah. is Palingenesia and they translated it to renewal of all things, but it means Genesis again. Yes. Um, I think you may have a better, I think you're right. I mean, it's yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what it means. Truly. I tell you at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, he's talking to his disciples there, but he also talks about you who have left homes, families, careers, sons, daughters, mothers, and fathers, whatever you have left, you'll get it back a hundredfold. Yes. So my question is, you know, as we got into this, is that how does, this is the thing that kind of baffles me, but yet I believe that I know that you did too for a long time. I love your story when you came home, when you were living at Smith and everybody was gone. <laughs> you you thought you missed the, you, oh, no, I missed the rapture. You know? For sure. I was going to have to survive in an apocalyptic wasteland all by my yes. 12 year old self. Terrifying. But I live like that too, you know? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> and that, uh, how, that how does this apply? This is what kind of baffles me is that all of these references to Eden that are woven off from literally, uh, my goodness, they, they're everywhere. Uh, Isaiah, P Second Peter, Revelation, uh, Isaiah, Matthew, Corinthians, Hebrews. It's everywhere. It's, it's all everywhere. over. 
even in our, uh, we're going through the Bible again, yep. through everything from Habakkuk to Micah to Nahum to Jonah, there's all these, yeah. yes, references and to Eden and to the coming of the kingdom of God. So I, it always baffles me that how you can take scriptures like this, like, um, blessed, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Um, Everyone who's left fields and homes and yada, yada, you'll receive a hundredfold. Uh, people will come from the east, the west, the north. And this is in Luke 13, 29. People will come from the east, the west, north, and south, and the south for the feast of, yeah. of, of the king, of the lamb. Uh, so if we're in this existential, existential nebulous place somewhere in, you know, heaven. Yeah. Floating over um, the clouds. Right. How do, we, how do we come from the north, south, and the east, and the west? Right. And how, when it, there's scriptures that say that uh, nations will bring their riches and glory, and kings yes. will they will bring them to the, the kingdom to and yes. throw their riches at his feet right. and, and uh, pledge their allegiance to the king. How do nations do that? It's here. It's all right here. Yes. And it is the most incredible. And, you know, since you and I, well, since you found this and shared it with me, I've thought, I'm sure you have too, it constantly occupies my thoughts in my yes. mind. And I can't unsee it. I can't unclick it, nor do I want to. Yes. But, praying uh, just derailed. <laughs> right I mean, off the track. Right up the track. Right. It is the golden thread woven all the way through scripture and it ties everything together. And once you see, you're right, it's it is the click that cannot be unclicked. Once it clicks, the rest of scripture makes sense. Like I remember prior to 2020 trying to read through the Bible and I just slogged through those parts of you yes. know, numbers and Leviticus and like, whoa, this is so boring. And the prophet Jeremiah was so like, they call him the weeping prophet. And I just, I tolerated it because I knew I was supposed to was a Christian, but right. there was nothing about it that caused any excitement for me now. And I'm not saying I love to go and read Leviticus, but at least I see now like why God is doing and why he told us the things he did, because he's trying to draw our hearts back to him. To show that, yeah, we messed it up, we derailed the train, but he's going to get it back on the tracks. Right. And his heart has always been to bring us back to him. That's what scripture is all about. I know. It's not a turn or, turn or burn. No. Yeah, it's not turn or burn. What I know what I was going to say is that the message of Eden makes it easier to live yes. for God. I understand now, when I look back at the apostles and the disciples and the people that gave their lives for the kingdom of God, for Christ, and I've always, you know, I've read that and thought, man, you know, would I be able to do that? How would I do that? Because we've, we've been told since we were kids, you know, that if you, you got, you have to ask Jesus in your heart or you're going to go to hell. You're going to hell. You know, so now you get to go. So that's really, you know, yeah, um, Jesus, we come into my heart. Amen. Thank you. And you're saved. You're going to heaven. 
Right. I mean, Scripture does say, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, but it doesn't just stop there. It's not like, okay, you know, I got my ticket punched and now I'm just right. waiting for the train to leave. There is a whole lifetime of right. being discipled and trained and taught and learning how good God is and wanting to follow him. I think for those of us, I mean, yeah, if we die before Jesus returns, we should be more excited at the end of our lives to follow Jesus than the than the first right. day that we, you know, decided to follow him. So do you think that we are um, experiencing the effects of the this that message, not the message of the great renewal, but ever since the early 1800s of this rapture philosophy and theology of, of escapism? And we have seen such a decline, especially recently in churches that people just don't want any part of it. And that's across the board from mainline denominational to Pentecostals and charismatics um, that the numbers are, they're dwindling. And uh, I, I do, I think you summed it up really well. I love your analogy. If you have two groups of people in a room and the room is a mess, one group thinks that well, they're just waiting to get out of there. So they're just kind of standing around waiting. And another group knows that they're going to stay. Who's more invested to clean up that room and make sure that it's well taken care of and it's beautiful and it's comfortable and all. Well, yeah, the group that's going to stay. And I think that this is my personal opinion. I think that the reason we see such a rise in like the whole, um, save the earth religious kind of, cult-like mentality that people are willing to sacrifice other people for the good of saving the trees or the whales or the turtles or whatever like right. that fanaticism comes because the church has abdicated its responsibility to be the voice for taking care of this earth that god gifted us we were always commissioned to take care of the world and the reason that hmm. we the church has taken a back seat to government when it comes to taking care of the poor and we've just kind of sat back and said, well, that's why I pay taxes. You know, I'm going to let the government do it. But it's the church's responsibility. Um, I'm trying to remember the scripture. I think it's in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? To love justice and do mercy, or to do justice and love mercy. Like the church's responsibility, the people of God should be the people leading the pack when it comes to taking care of the earth to wisely managing our resources, to, to, to taking care of the poor, to getting, you know, women and children and out of, you know, human trafficking and, right. and all of these things. But we have, at least the church in the West, you know, has become Sunday morning, maybe Wednesday night if you're really spiritual. Right. And we get an hour and a half of, you know, well, I came and I did my religious duty. I sang some songs. I listened to a message. I got a warm fuzzy, but mm -hmm. then we just go out and live our lives and we don't have any impact on right. the world around us. Right. And any kind of, any kind of event or world event or natural disaster, uh, anything that happens after that, you always hear the same thing. Uh, rat, it's close. It's close. Close, close. It's coming to wrap. We're going to be raptured. You know, and I've known people that were just absolutely terrified, just terrified, you know, and their response 
to that message was, well, we'll be gone, right? We'll, we'll be gone. We'll, we'll be gone, okay? We'll be gone. And it was just pure fear and terror. And the person teaching it was, yes, yes, we'll be gone long before that, you know? You know, I'm like, oh, okay, God, thank God. So you're right. What happens to justice? What happens to righteousness? Um, and you, you look through, I mean, what about all the prophets that prophesy that they confronted the evil and the injustices of their time. And I'm, you know, the message of Eden is a prophetic message that's yeah. it's been echoing since Genesis, yes. since they were evicted. Eden, go, Eden didn't go away. What made Eden? Eden was the presence of God, the Ruach of God. And, and so that, again, that he, it never stopped. He never stopped. He never did. And even when you were talking earlier about the priests going into the Holy of Holies, that they had to be pure, you know, and if people look at that again, as this, you know, there's this terrifying, angry, vindictive, hateful God. And that's not his nature is so pure. It's so pure and it, that it is a fire. It's a righteous fire. And there's no anger or hatred in it. It's just that's yeah. that's who God is. That's His character. Yeah. That's who He is. And those kind of, those kind of things. If you truly have the courage to embrace the message of Eden and step into the presence of God, to walk in, arms out, hands wide open, God, I love you. Yeah. His dude, His righteousness and His holiness is going to evaporate. All of those things that weighed you down, just like you said, you felt like you were slogging through life. I did too for the longest time. It's one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, three steps back. It was this exhausting journey that was taking me nowhere until this happened. Yes. And from that message, there's been such an incredible transformation. And the closer I get to him, the more like that burning bush I become. Yeah. The way I'm on fire, but I'm not being burned up. Right. What the, all the impurities are, all of the things that used to plague me, the thoughts, the attitudes. And, and again, they're, you know, some, some take a little longer to burn up than others. <laughs> so, yeah. But it, the fact that it is an incredible joy, Paul. And sometimes when I sit down to pray on the front porch in the mornings, if it's not pouring, um, I'll, sometimes all I can say over is, I love you. I love you. I love you so much. Yeah. And, oh, my gosh, this has been the most incredible two and a half years of a Christian walk that started in the late 80s. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, I... Uh, I have never been the Christian I promised I would be, but he has always been the savior. He promised he would be. Yes. 100%. And, and even after all of my indiscretions and my horrible mistakes and my wanton display and of flawed humanity, he blessed me with your friendship and you shared the message of the great renewal with me. And for that, I will be eternally grateful, my friend. Yeah, you're welcome. I look forward to 
shaking John Eldridge's hand and yes. <laughs> hugging Blaine's neck and thanking them. And oh. then getting to see Dallas Willard, who uh, is now in heaven with the Lord, but will return to yeah. live on the earth forever with the rest of us. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Yeah. It's good. There is, yeah, there will be a restoration process here on the planet when he returns. Yeah. yeah and so. N.T. Wright acknowledges all of these things. We've talked a lot about it. And while we are super confident, uh, N.T. Wright acknowledges all these things are signposts pointing into a fog. There are some things we just don't know, but what I do know is God is good and I don't have to be afraid of whatever comes next because he's always been good and nothing good is lost in the kingdom of God. Nothing good is lost in Eden. Amen. We're, we're closing in on an hour. I know. We need to wrap it up. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, all of this is true because what we always say at the end of our podcast God is not mad at you. Yes. And that's why Eden. There you go. Yeah. Good news. Right. It's good news. Okay. Thank you very much. If you like this, uh, if you didn't like it, you know, comment in the, the video or you can reach out to us in, in you can, bleh, you can reach out to us at info at the cosmic car wash.com. Uh, we'd be happy to invite you into our devotions. We do every day through uh, Bible.com or the Bible app, however you uh, could access it. And uh, we'll just be happy to share with you what God has shared with us because he's good and we're excited and the best is yet to come. Amen. All Eden right. is coming. Eden is coming. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Later.